it won't have the profound effect that it should if you don't know who actually put him on the cross in the first place. Amen. So last week we, we, we started this series and we indicted two individuals or two groups of people. If you remember last week, we first indicted Judas Iscariot. And for those of you who may not know, I'm kind of chronicling the events that led to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We indicted Judas Iscariot last week as he was one of the disciples of Jesus Christ who was with him at all times. And the Bible indicates that Judas betrayed Christ and he turned him over to the Jewish Sanhedrin. Judas was responsible for the murder of Jesus Christ, but it wasn't Judas alone. Last week, we looked at the Jewish Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish Supreme High Court. It was a court of 71 individuals who were supposed to execute judgment in righteousness and represent God in his holiness when it came to judging the people of Israel. But we learned last week that it was the Jewish Sanhedrin who decided to falsely condemn Jesus to death and to condemn him to crucifixion and to turn him over to the Romans. It was the, it, the Jewish Sanhedrin, even though they were supposed to be righteous, were the ones who ultimately decided to kill the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But I don't want to focus primarily on the faults of these individuals. How many of you know that it's easy for us to do that? It's easy to point out the flaws and the decisions that other people have made. But how many know it's not about us? When I thought about this last week, I thought about how every one of us has a reason why we choose not to follow Christ. It's not just about Judas, and it's not just about the Jewish Sanhedrin. Every last one of us in here has a reason why we choose not to follow Christ. For Judas, it was 30 pieces of silver. It was about money. For the Jewish Sanhedrin, it was about position and power. They didn't want Jesus Christ to rule over them and rule over the people. But it's not about them that that's important. It's not, I don't want to focus on them to point out all of their flaws. The question that relates to all of us is what is your reason for not following Jesus Christ? How many know that every one of us in here has something in some area of our life to where we're not following Christ? Come on, somebody. See, see what, if you're not careful, you can fall into the mistake of getting into the position of coming to church. And when you learn about other people in the Bible, you can sit in a sanctimonious, self-righteous position to where you are quick to judge and point out the flaws in other people's lives and don't have a moment to reflect on what's going on in our own lives. But the truth of the matter is Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. Whether you know it or not, all of us have areas in our lives where we are choosing every day not to follow Jesus Christ. So it's not just about Judas and it's not just about the Jewish Sanhedrin. The truth of the matter is, is that all of us one day are going to stand before the same judge that Judas stands before and the Judas Sanhedrin stands before. And we're all going to have to give an account for the decisions that you and I are making every day. The difference between us and Judas and the Sanhedrin is that we're still alive and they're dead. The difference between us, when you really think about it, is that we still have the opportunity to make decisions, to change things in our lives to where they don't have that decision anymore. The truth of the matter is Judas made his decision. He decided to rule against Christ, and there's nothing that he can do to ever change that. The Jewish Sanhedrin, the actions that they took against Christ, no matter what they do, they can't come back from the dead. It's written forever in the history books of all eternity. Their stuff is done. But for us, we're still alive, and we still have the opportunity to make decisions to change our lives and to change things to be better and live better for Christ. 
So as we look and go through this series, my goal is not to highlight the flaws of all of these individuals who crucified Christ. It's not for us to sit in this sanctimonious self-righteousness position to where we judge all of the faults of everything that they have done, but rather it's for us to learn from them. How many know that you can learn from anybody? The goal of studying these individuals is for us to learn from them and to evaluate our own lives because I think when you do that, what you will find is is that you will find that you are not that much different from Judas. You're really not that much different from the Jewish Sanhedrin. All of us have things in our lives, our reasons to where we don't want Christ to rule and be Lord in our lives. Life, whether you know about it, is all about decisions. You and I are making decisions every day. We make thousands of them every day that ultimately determine our destiny and ultimately determine our eternal rewards. And so we have to learn how to make better decisions. And that's the focus of today's message is how do we make better decisions to follow Christ? And we're going to learn from someone who I think is uniquely qualified about teaching us about how to make better decisions. His name is Pilate. And we're going to study him and what the Bible says was his role in the murder of Jesus Christ. Are you ready to begin? Now, let us begin. We left off with Judas betraying Jesus and turning him over to the Jewish Sanhedrin. I, I am chronicling the path that led to Jesus Christ's death. Everybody knows about it, but many times, biblically, you see stuff in movies, but biblically, can we trace exactly what happened to him? The Bible says when we left off last time, that Judas betrayed Jesus over to the Jewish Sanhedrin, and the Jewish Sanhedrin, which was this religious court of the Jews, falsely condemned him and illegally condemned him to death. The problem that the Jewish Sanhedrin had, if you remember last time, they convicted him of blasphemy. Blasphemy just simply means to improperly speak about God. Jesus said when they asked him, are you the son of God? And he said that I am. And if you remember, the high priest tore his robe and said, but we don't need anything more because this man is essentially saying that he is equivalent to God. That's all we need. So they condemned him of blasphemy, which according to the Hebrew law in Leviticus 24 and 16 was worthy of death. They convicted Jesus to death. But the problem the Jews had was was that they couldn't kill a man. So you have to remember at this time, the Jews were underneath the Romans. The Romans were in control. The Romans were the rulers of that land. And the Romans gave the Jews so much authority to do certain things, but they didn't have the authority to murder a man on their own. They had to take it to the civil authority. So even though they convicted him and said that he was worthy of die, they had to convince Rome. So when you're reading your Bible in in John chapter 18, verse 28, It says that after they convicted him, they decided to take him to Pilate. Everything leads to the man Pilate that we're talking about today, John 18, verse 28. And it says, then they led Jesus from Caiaphas. If you remember, that's where they had his trial. They led him from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, and it was early in the morning. Do you remember why early in the morning is important? Because originally they had convicted him at nighttime. But according to their own Jewish law, you couldn't convict or have a trial at nighttime. They broke their own law. So if you remember, we talked about this last week, you'll notice that what it appears is duplicate. It's not duplicative. They recognized their mistake, and they had a trial early the next morning and convicted them of the same thing that they convicted them at night. Okay, so in the morning, after they had tried him and convicted him, it says that it was early in the morning, but they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat at the Passover. So what it is, they took Jesus and they took him to Pilate. 
Matthew 23, 1 indicates that they came in large numbers. I want you to understand what's happening. They came in large numbers, almost like a mob or a crowd when they came to Pilate. And, and, and when they did that, reason, the reason why they came in large numbers is they wanted to urge the sense of the problem that was going. They wanted Pilate to address it immediately. You have to understand, during this time, it was the time of the Passover. How many of you remember what the Passover is? Do you remember with Moses to where they set the children of Israel free? And it says that the death angel came through there and they put the blood of the lamb on the door and that the death angel passed over them. All of this is symbolic to the actual lamb that's about to be slayed, whose blood would set everybody free. But during the Jewish time of Passover, you have to understand, thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews were in Judea. They were all there to celebrate this time. And it was always a very, very tense time within the Roman, this, this period of time of year. Because when you had all of these Jews together, none of them liked the Romans. They didn't like the Romans ruling over them. And when you got thousands and thousands and thousands of people there, I mean, you know that it don't take much to get something popping. And so they came with large numbers to Pilate. And they came to him when you read there in verse John 8, John 18, verse 29, Pilate does the right thing. Pilate says he sees all this mob and he sees Jesus, no doubt, in handcuffs. He says, what charge do you bring against this man? Now, that's what the Jewish Sanhedrin should have did the first time. See, but Pilate is acting impartial. That's what they should have done. But when they brought him to Pilate, Pilate asked the right question. He says, what do you bring? What charge do you bring against this man? Notice the Jews' response in verse 30. They said, well, if he weren't a criminal, your, your translation may say a malefactor. If he weren't a criminal, we wouldn't be bringing him to you. Do you see that there? They're essentially saying, well, Pilate, listen, uh, anything that we bring him, we wouldn't bring him to you unless we had a good reason. So essentially, they were asking Pilate to condemn him for something without even giving him an explanation of why they were doing it. Listen, and I'm about to explain why they were doing that. See, they wanted Pilate to do something because they knew they had Pilate where they wanted him. Watch this. But Pilate didn't take the bait. If you look there in verse 31, notice what it says. Pilate says, well, if he's done something wrong, well, why don't y'all go convict him according to your own law? You all have authority to do certain things. If he broke the law, go ahead and judge him according to your own law. Watch this. And then the Jews cut to the chase and they say, we want to convict him, but it is illegal for us to put a man to death. Do you see that there? It says it's illegal for us to put a man to death. So no doubt this surely got Pilate's attention now. He's trying to figure out, well, what did this man do to where y'all actually want to put him to death? See, you, you have to understand the problem that the Jews have. Blasphemy is worthy of death according to the Hebrew law, but according to the Roman law, they never condemned or crucified someone for committing blasphemy. Most of the stuff in the Jewish law that you could die from, the Romans didn't care about. You could commit adultery and they're not going to crucify you. Probably half of them in there was committing adultery. <laughs> you know, they were sleeping with everybody, right? So Pilate says, I want to know what is the reason you all want to kill the man. Watch this. And so the Bible tells, not in John's account, but when you go to the book of Matthew, it tells us the reason. It says in Luke 23, verse 2, it, they come up with a reason that they want to try to convict or provoke Rome to kill him. They knew that Rome wouldn't do anything to him because of 
of, of adultery or blasphemy. So in Luke 23, verse 2, it says that the reason they gave Pilate was because he was teaching that he was a king and teaching against paying tribute to Rome. Watch this. Now, they said the reason why we are seeking his death is because he claims that he's a king and he's telling people don't pay tribute to Rome, don't pay no taxes. Now, how many know that if you're going to get somebody to move is when you start messing around with the money? So you got to understand, Rome, Rome is a huge empire. They have soldiers all over the place. And when you start teaching people don't pay with the money, well, that, that's a problem because now we can't do what we need to do, right? And so they, they throw this, but Pilate knows that something is wrong. Do you know why? Because Pilate knows that nobody likes to pay taxes. Anybody here like to pay taxes? Understand this from Pilate's point of view. Pilate comes and says, so wait a minute now. The Jews like taxes. You mean to tell me you bringing this man to me first thing early in the morning and seeking the death penalty for him because he ain't paying his taxes. None of y'all like paying taxes. And so Pilate knew that something was wrong. So when you look there in John, notice what he does. He calls him into the praetorium himself. And if you look there around verse 32 through 37, it says the, key, it says the scene of what's happening. He says he comes to Jesus, and notice what he does. He asks Jesus the question of the charge against him. Notice what it says. He says, are you a king? Do you see that there in your book? He says, are you a king? Because that's the charge that they're really railing against you is that you're a king. And Jesus tells him, well, you know, I'm a king. Essentially, I'm a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. Do you see that? I want you to understand what's going on. Pilate is concerned about Rome. He doesn't care anything about the Jewish law. He's concerned about Rome. So he asks Jesus the question that's relevant to Rome. Are you a king? Jesus says, listen, I'm a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. You can imagine Pilate's response. Pilate's looking at him, well, I don't know what kingdom you're talking about of another world. Maybe you're crazy, but you're not a threat to me if you're not trying to threaten Rome. Right? So when you look there in the text, you notice what it does. In John 18, 38, he goes back out to the Jews and he tells them, I find no fault or no reason for him to die. Do you see that there? But the Bible says, listen, what's going on? It says that the crowds begin to gather and the chief priests, hearing that Pilate wasn't going to do anything, they started rallying the people. In Luke 23 and 5, it says that they became more fierce in the accusations against him. So in other words, when Pilate gave this, this thing to where I don't see anything wrong, the Jewish leaders started exciting the crowd, and they started getting together and saying, no, 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 he is a malefactor. He broke our law. You need to get him. Now watch this. Watch this. Pilate has a difficult problem that he has to deal with. See, what I couldn't understand was if you interviewed Jesus and you didn't find no fault in him, why didn't you just let him go? Right? You, you're the leader. If you interview him, you see nothing wrong, let him go on out the house. But you got to understand, Pilate had a problem with Rome. I'm trying to explain the rationale why Pilate, see, he had a decision that he had to make. And what was influencing this decision was that he had a problem with Rome. Pilate's judgment as a leader was already in question to the leaders and the officials of Rome. Can I share something with you? John MacArthur states it this way. He says, Rome knew the religious Jews always presented a problem and posed a threat if they were not handled properly. So the governor had to be someone who knew how to handle political and sensitive issues. 
Josephus, the historian, notes that Pilate had previously gotten in trouble when Rome when he was sent to keep the peace. You got to understand the whole reason Pilate was sent to Rome was he was supposed to be keeping peace in Judea. He was supposed to keep peace in the land. Watch what this idiot did. Contrary to Roman requirement, he told his soldiers to go carry their standards featuring Caesar's likeness into Jerusalem, something previous governors had not done because the Jews considered it adultery to make images of God. Watch this. Pilate did it under the cover of night. And when the Jews awoke the next morning, they saw Caesar's image everywhere all over Judea. They were incensed and went to Pilate's home to confront him and ask him to remove all of these images of Caesar. Watch this. Pilate heard them, but he stubbornly refused. And the historian tells us he didn't even go out to the Jews. He just sent someone out there to tell them to go home. He ain't doing anything. He, John MacArthur goes on and says, he says, the people persisted for five days. They began to, to rally together. And then Pilate finally agreed to meet with them. But look what he did. He told them to come into a hall and that he would speak to them in this big hall. And when all the people came into the hall, he brought in all these Roman soldiers with swords. And he threatened to kill all of them if they did not refuse to cease requesting that he do this. He, it backfired on them, though, because the Jews believed so much in not having these images up. Watch this. To where the people said, the, the historian tells us that the people laid down their lives, they got down on their knees and said, cut off our head and go ahead and do it. Watch this. When they did that, Pilate had a decision. Either he was going to slaughter all of these people, which he would have to report to Rome, or either he had to back off and then kind of back off and, and take a step back. What he ended up having to do was he took a step back and relented from doing what he promised he was going to do. And when he did that, Rome, when word got back to Rome, Rome became very disappointed and began to question his judgment. They got upset with him that he, that he essentially made a fool of Rome by not handling that situation better. And this, watch this, when this happened, Pilate got in trouble back with Rome, and it caused him to really dislike the Jews. How I many you know that sometimes when you get in trouble, somebody gets you in trouble, you don't like them no more? So history tells us that Pilate used to try to do anything he could to provoke the Jews. There was one account which led to this. Listen, I'm just trying to explain what was going on with Pilate. This led to another incident, the, the, the author writes, where Pilate thought to hang shields dedicated to Emperor Tiberius with his image and names on the shields. One of the names that they had for Tiberius was the name of a god. He was going to hang these shields in King Herod's palace, watch this, which was highly offensive to the Jews. A historian, Philo, a Jewish philosopher, notes the Jews were aware of his problem back at Rome, and they threatened to go to Caesar themselves to deal with the situation. They actually have a quote from what they wrote. Notice what it says. It says, do not cause a sedition. This is from the Jews. Do not make war upon us. Do not destroy the peace which exists. The honor of the emperor is not identical with dishonor to the ancient laws. Let it not be to you a pretense for heaping insult on our nation. Listen to him now. Tiberius is not desirous that any of our laws or customs shall be destroyed. And if you yourself say that he is, show us either some command from him or some letter or something of the kind that we who have been sent to you as ambassadors may cease to trouble you and may address our supplications to your master directly. 
Watch this. So they said that if you're saying that Caesar wants this, then give us a letter and we'll go talk to Caesar himself. In other words, they were going to sidestep Pilate to go to his, mind, his boss and wrong themselves. Watch this. Pilate was outraged at the threat, and he wrote the emperor Tiberius himself to explain what was happening in Judea. How many know that sometimes you try to get ahead of the problem before it becomes a problem? Watch this. But here's what happened. Tiberius' response to him showed the view of Rome towards Pilate. The author writes, immediately, without putting anything off to the next day, Tiberius wrote a letter reproaching and reviling Pilate in the most bitter manner for his act of unprecedented audacity and wickedness and commanding him immediately to take down the shields and to convey them away from the metropolis of Judea to Caesarea. So Pilate was in a problem. He had a situation, watch this, he knew that something, that Jesus wasn't guilty of what they were condemning him on, but at the same time, he knew that he had a problem with the Jews, and if he didn't please the Jews, they would just sidetrack him, go to Rome, his emperor, and get him in trouble. Watch this. So he has to figure out, what do I do in this situation? I have a decision. What do I do? So the Bible records, when you look in there, he hears the Jews say, they talk about, well, Jesus is calling all these trouble in Galilee. And so when he hears that, the Bible says in Luke chapter 23, verse 6 to 8, when he hears that Jesus was in Galilee and that he was a Galilean, he, something comes to his mind and says, well, if you're a Galilean, then you're under the jurisdiction of King Herod. Did anybody remember about King Herod? And when he found out about King Herod, he says, well, if you're a Galilean, take him to King Herod. Let King Herod have it. How many know that sometimes you try to avoid making the decision? So he sends him to King Herod. If you know the story, the Bible says that King Herod interviews him. He doesn't find any fault in Jesus. He just wants him to do some miracles. He wants him to show out, do some stuff before him. And when Jesus won't do it, he said, well, I ain't got nothing to do with this Jesus either. He sends him back to Pilate, right? Pilate, this time when he comes back to Pilate, the mob has grown bigger. They come back to Pilate, and you find that the crowds have grown bigger, enhancing the, 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 the situation where Pilate has to do something. So Pilate tries to decide what he needs to do, and in Luke chapter 23, verses 13, he comes up with this plan. He says, it's customary. I don't want to kill Jesus. He says, it's customary during this time that we release a prisoner to you. And so the Bible says, I'm just giving you the chronology. The Bible says that Pilate says, I can solve my problem. I got a win-win situation for the Jews and a win-win situation for me. He comes before the people, and he says, listen, it's customary. I'll give you Barabbas or either Jesus. And the Bible says that he just knew the people would choose Jesus. I mean, Jesus was out healing people. Jesus was out restoring stuff. Jesus was teaching the people. He just knew that they would choose Jesus over Barabbas. I mean, the Bible says in Matthew 27, 16, and 17 that, that, that Barabbas was a notorious murderer. He no doubt had killed some of the people, and he just knew that they would do this. But the Bible says that it backfired because the chief priest went around inciting the people to choose Barabbas over Jesus. And when Pilate asked him, you know the story, the Bible says that the people said, we want Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And then the Bible says that Pilate asked him, what do you want me to do with Jesus? And they said, crucify him. Pilate asked him over and over again in Matthew 27. He says, why? What has he done? And the crowds begin to yell out louder and louder and louder to crucify him. 
So Pilate has to decide, what do I do? I know this man has done nothing wrong. I don't want to kill him, but I'm going to run into problem with these hard-headed Jews. Watch this. So Pilate again tries to appease the Jews. The Bible says in John that he had him flogged. Flogged was to be beaten with, with a whip. The Roman whip was different than an ordinary whip. They had the whips that would come down on your back, leather strips. And on these leather strips, they would have pieces of glass and all types of metal and different things on them. So when they struck you, it literally pulled the flesh off of your body. They would strip you naked and then beat you with these whips all over the place. One of the best illustrations is on the Passion. How many, how many of you have seen that? It's a horrible thing, but that's probably the closest thing that we have of what they actually did to him. Imagine being stripped naked. And they're whipping you with this belt, literally tearing the skin off of your body. I thought about that as a man. You know, if you're sitting on there this way and he's beating you on this side, God forbid you turn around like this. And they go and they hit you with that belt. And then you get, you know, okay. Come on. But it says that they whooped him. Watch this. Pilate thought that that would be his way out of it. But when you read there in John 19, chapter 9, John 19, verse 1, Pilate, after he had beat him, it says, now behold the man. Do you see that there? Behold the man, thinking that it would satisfy the Jews. Listen, I've already whipped this man. Look at him. He looks a mess. I beat him. Nobody even knows who he is anymore. But the Bible says in John chapter 19, verse 7, notice what it says, but when they saw him, they cried out louder, crucify him, crucify him crucify him. And Pilate is left with this decision. What do I do? When you look there, it says that Pilate went back into Jesus. Do you see that there in your text? It says that Pilate went back into Jesus and he says, where are you from? He's trying to figure out how can I avoid killing this man? He goes back in. He says, tell me, where are you from? Jesus answers him nothing. Pilate says, don't you know that I have the ability to determine to kill you or not? I'm trying to help you. And Jesus says, do you remember? He says, you couldn't do nothing unless it was given to you. And so Pilate goes out. The pressure is building up. He goes back out to the people in verse 12. Watch this. And I just want you to see what's going on. He tries to release him once more. But in verse 12, the people say, if you let him live. Do you see that? If you let him live, you are no friend of Caesar. Wait a minute now. Do you see what's going on? See, they're getting the crowd really hot. They're riling them up. And listen, it says, if you let him go, you are no friend of Caesar. Watch verse 13. And when Pilate heard that saying. Do you see that? Y'all got y'all Bibles open. It says, when Pilate heard that saying. You know what he did? He turned him over to Jesus. He washed his hands and said, y'all go ahead and take him. The point, what I'm saying is, why did Pilate do that? He did it because the Jews had him in a bind. He had a decision to make. What was he going to do? If he, he let Jesus go, he might lose everything that he had. And so Pilate made the decision to crucify him. What can we take from this? Listen. See, Pilate had a tough decision to make. Either he did what he knew was right and let him go, or either he give in to the pressure and do what everybody wanted him to do 
that went against what he knew he shouldn't do. Here's the problem. Why did Pilate, even though he knew that Jesus was innocent, why did he decide to crucify a man that he knew was innocent? The reason why was he didn't want to lose his governorship. He didn't want to lose his position. He didn't want to lose his luxury of his lifestyle. He didn't want to lose any of that. So when the choice came between Jesus and my lifestyle and what I have, I'm willing to give up that rather than to give up Christ. Listen, here's a question for us. What are you holding on to that you don't want to give up that's causing you to choose something over Christ? See, we, see, this isn't about Pilate. I know that we've been talking about Pilate a lot, but really this isn't just about Pilate. All of us in here have some things in our lives that you're choosing over Christ, not just Pilate. Come on, somebody. Maybe it's your job or your career, and for you, that's all you pursue. You're pursuing everything that you want, and you're choosing that thing over Christ. We all have things that we're doing and choosing over Christ. But can I point out something about Pilate with the time that I have? What can we learn from Pilate about making better decisions? Because really, that's what I'm, I'm focusing on, was the decisions that Pilate made. Number one, the first thing that we can learn from Pilate is, is that doing the right thing will often cost you. There is always a cost for doing the right thing. Pilate could have set Jesus Christ free. The issue was he just didn't want to pay the cost to do it. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. There is a cost for every decision that we make. How many know that there was a cost to come to church this Sunday morning? You could have been at home watching your show. There is a cost for every time you speak to your spouse in anger. There is a cost for every time you pick up that bottle of alcohol. There is a cost for everything that we do. Listen, there's even a cost for following Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Matthew 16, verse 24, if any man will come after me, the cost is he must deny himself. Do you see that? Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, the cost is at some point in your life, there's going to be something that you're going to have to give up in order to come follow me. Watch this. Here's the question that every one of us in here has to ask ourselves. How much is Christ worth to you? Think about this. How much is Christ worth to you? See, to Pilate, Christ wasn't worth my governorship. The question that we have to answer is, how much is Christ worth to you? Is Christ worth you getting up out of bed to come to church on Sunday? Is Christ worth that $50 or $100 that you decide to give him to expand his kingdom? How much is Christ worth to you? Because if he's not worth it, how many know that our decisions reflect how valuable something is? Come on, somebody. Everybody says that Christ is my all and my all and my all until it's time to give up something for him. Are you much different than Pilate? It's so easy to point your finger at Pilate and say, Pilate turned Jesus over for his governorship. He's such a lousy man. How could he do that? How could he turn over the king of kings and lord of lords? But then when Johnny called... All the amens I went down. When Tracy calls, when the boss calls and says, I need you more, 
when days of our lives call on the day that small group is on. Come on, somebody. How much? See, that's a fundamental question that all of us has to answer. All, Christ has given us all opportunity to serve him. But is your job more important? For Pilate, we can learn that following Christ is going to cost you something. Number two, and as I get ready to close, number two thing that we can learn from Pilate is, is that we are responsible for every decision that we make. Listen, every decision that we make, we are responsible for them. Pilate, what happened to Pilate wasn't right. In other words, the Jews put pressure on him to force him to make a decision. They brought him to him. They threatened to go to Rome. The Jews did everything they could. But how many know that that didn't absolve Pilate from his decision that he made? He was still responsible because even though the Jews did the wrong thing by bringing him and putting all that pressure on him, it was still Pilate who decided to give the order. See, the thing that we have to remember and understand is you can't blame everybody else for your decisions. Listen, you can't blame your mama and your daddy for the reason why you're doing the things that you're doing. We're still all responsible for the decisions that we make. Listen, Pilate thought by dipping his hands in water and washing his hands, he could wash away his sin. Oh, no, he couldn't wash away his sin. Because Jesus, even in his response to Pilate, he said that with six, essentially what they did was wrong. He said, the person who brought me to you has the greater sin, but he never said that Pilate was absolved from his sin in the matter. Listen, so we all have our responsibility for the decisions that we make. And then finally, can I tell you something else? Is that we can learn from Pilate that only what we do for Christ is going to last. I'm going to tell you something that's interesting about Pilate that you may not know, you may not see on the History Channel or whatever it is. You would have to read about it. But Pilate held on to his governorship. He decided that his luxury was more important than doing what he knew in his own heart wasn't right. But can I tell you something? His decision to hold on to it eventually caused him to lose it anyway. Watch this. I read from a historian. I want you to hear what they said. It said... Just a few years after this event occurred, a certain false prophet duped a Samaritan religious sect into believing Moses had hidden the sacred vessels from the tabernacle on Mount Gerizim. The sect began gathering in a village near Gerizim, hoping to see these vessels. When Pilate heard about the gathering, he assumed the worst and ordered the Roman army to investigate what he presumed to be an insurrection against Rome. It says a slaughter ensued in which hundreds were slain who actually posed no threat to Rome whatsoever. The Samaritans appeared, appealed to the Roman legate in Syria, Pilate's immediate supervisor, and Pilate was called to Rome to answer the complaint against him. Before any hearing could occur, Emperor Tiberius died, and history records nothing more about Pilate although legend suggests that he committed suicide. Watch this. What's the point? See, he did everything he could to hold on to his governorship, which he eventually lost anyway. Here's the thing. Here's the question. 
are the things that you're holding on to worth it? In the end, it's not. All of us are facing things, challenges, things that are coming against us, and we're doing things that we know aren't right. The question is, is it worth it? And can I tell you something? Just as Pilate will one day have to answer for what he's doing, all of us in here are going to have to do the same thing. Here's a question. Here's a question. Are you giving God your all? Are you that much better than Pilate? Or are there decisions that you need to change so that when you meet Christ on that day, you can be rejoiceful and know that you've given him your all? Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus, truth